This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdahl, and my guest this week is Jason Cutter. Jason is the CEO of Cutter Consulting Group and is in his mind, it's about mindset and scalability. He is the expert of mindset and scalability. Even though he didn't have a sales upbringing, I think he got into sales around 27, so he can correct me if I'm wrong, but he knows what it takes to be successful in sales and build profitable teams. His books, podcasts, and work with clients are focused on helping close more deals, make more money, and produce scalable results, which is what everybody wants. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast, Jason Cutter. Thanks for having me, Nick. I, uh, I, I yeah, let's. I'm excited to see where this goes, especially on you know customer experience, sales experience, just all that stuff. We talk about the, sharks. I'm ready. I love it. I'm ready to talk about the shark experience. Uh, that's, uh, <laughs> sounds like that's exactly where we're going. The one question I have for every single guest before I get started, is what's one thing people might not know about you? Well, I would say about the sharks and the marine biology, but the more that I spoke, I, I put that out there a lot. Um, one thing that most people don't know about me is that uh, I took a break from sales business um, and uh, around two th- in 2011, I actually worked for a totally different company doing totally different work and ended up doing many deployments to the Middle East on some secret classified government projects supporting the military as a civilian with no military experience. So uh, I spent a lot of time in some dirty, sandy, hot, uh, unfun places. And uh, yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was interesting. Totally different from sales and totally different from tagging sharks. So you went from sharks yep. to secret mission, Mission Impossible, Mr. James Bond, to sales. So how the heck did you get into sales after you, at age 27, was somebody like, hey, you look like you should be in sales or, hey, I, I really have this bad job and you should be in it. <laughs> well, I, I definitely, I'd say I have a face for radio, not for sales. So that's <laughs> definitely not my mode. Um, it, it, here's what's interesting. So at uh, 27, I had basically right before then I was working at Microsoft. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. Marine biology didn't work out. I didn't want to go to school and, and uh, get a master's. So I ended up in Seattle at Microsoft doing tech support for a couple of years. They then outsourced all of our jobs. That was 2002. Some people might remember when there was actually people in America doing tech support and customer service. Then it got offshored and now it's kind of reshored and, and brought back on. Um, but we were in that way. We all literally lost our job to the first time they offshored uh, ever, uh, Microsoft did. And uh, I didn't know what I want to do. And then a family friend said, hey, I got a guy. He's a really good guy. He's growing a mortgage company. You should go work for him. And so I did, and it was 2002. So it was real estate boom was going crazy, especially in Seattle. And it is sales. There is sales to it, 
but literally I have never thought of myself as a salesperson. And it wasn't until years later, I looked at it, what I was doing and in, in careers afterwards, I still have never thought I was in sales. Um, and the reason why is I grew up thinking and being taught that sales is gross and dirty and people in sales are not to be trusted. Um, so I was like, well, I'm helping people buy houses. So this isn't sales because sales is gross. And so that's not me. And so I, I didn't even realize I was in anything to do with sales. I still screwed up a lot of stuff because I wasn't selling right, but that's kind of the evolution. So sales prior was a dirty word. Yes. When it, when it came to everybody else, because you weren't technically in sales, it was everybody else who had the title of sales was just the, the gross, dirty ones. You were the ones that were, you, you helped people buy, you guided them to that solution. So it was different, right? Basically. And my title was loan officer. So it wasn't sales expert. It was loan officer. And for me, just naive or just clueless or dumb. I was just like, okay, I'm a loan officer. I'm just helping people get. And the other part that was interesting too, is that at the time, 2002, literally it was order taking mode. I mean, it was not arm twisting. It wasn't persuading. It wasn't hardcore tech. You didn't have to, like there was a joke, especially in 2003, which was if you show up for work some days and you answer your phone every once in a while, but never return a phone call, you'll make six figures, right? It was just like, whatever everyone wanted it and so again i didn't equate it to actually having to move someone forward and and help them make a decision versus just fulfill an order right so you don't believe sales is a dirty word today though uh i think that most of the world views that sales is a dirty word i think sales in the old school classic wolf of wall street boiler room mode is a dirty, gross word. And then I think when it's done right, sales is actually service and it's not a dirty word. But unfortunately, and we can talk about this as well, there's no professional standards or code of ethics or anything that makes it a legitimate profession as far as being monitored or managed. And so it's kind of up to each person and how they want to act. Has it evolved since you've gotten into sales at from age 27 to the ripe age of where you're at today? <laughs> um, I, I would say the only thing that's evolved is the expectations and desires of more of the customer base and the buying public in general. Not everybody, because there's still people who just like fall for this the classic sales tactics. So I think the the consumers, which is all of us, right? We're all customers in our daily life. Uh, Our expectations and desires and what we're looking for and what we're armed with is totally different, right? 2002, there was online presence, but it's not like it is now, right? If you wanted to buy a house, you had to get a realtor. If you wanted to get a mortgage, you like you basically had to talk to somebody. Now there's a lot many, a lot more tools. I think what hasn't evolved is the whole industry selling and seeing it as a service and something you're doing for somebody and with somebody uh, in every industry there is, you can find examples of still just, I'm just going to say it, bad sales tactics, bad sales processes, and bad salespeople with bad motivations in terms of what would actually be right for a customer and what they're looking for. So what advice would you give to somebody who is, let's say a VP of sales? 
and they're brand new. They, they went from the sales head of the sales, cause that's what people do. And then they say, Oh, that person's really good at sales. Let me put them into management. <laughs> uh, don't do that. Uh, but what advice would you give to this, this level of person to improve that experience and to treat them right and to do what's right for the customer? Like what are those essential things, the baseline, the foundational pillars in sales to get them kickstarted? That's such a, that's such a tough question to answer. That's why I asked it, Jason. I I know. And this is, this, this is why, this is, this is why you're on that side of, of the, uh, of the mic. Uh, with the tough questions. Uh, and the reason why it's tough for me to answer that is there's so many different aspects. The first thing that comes to mind and the advice I give to leaders is that most of them got to the place where they're at because they're good at what they do, or they were the one who showed up consistently and they got voluntold into the next role, right? And moved up. But a lot of times they're used to doing what they do and they think everyone else should just do the way they did it and they were successful doing it this way and they get frustrated or they, they think that you just hire the right people and they'll just do it and sell the same way that that person did it. And it doesn't work that way. Everybody's different. So Mm -hmm. one of the biggest things is changing that mindset. And I work a lot with companies and leaders who it's like, okay, stop thinking. Everyone sees the world like you do. Everybody is different. Um, And, and diving into that part and building a sales team, a culture processes around, everybody, not just rock stars, right? Like you can't have five Michael Jordans on the court anytime or 12 Michael Jordans just sitting around on the team. doesn't work that way. Like everybody's different. It's just not, it's also not scalable. So that's the first part. The second part is to answer your question, like what should they focus on is scalable, repeatable systems and processes for everybody to use again, not just rock stars, but something that can be done that will generate the sales experience you want to create. Most of the time, what I see and where I'm brought in with companies, and I'm sure you see this as well, is where the sales team is made up of people who are just left to do what they do best, air quotes, and just sell. No scripts, no processes, no accountability, maybe no comp plan other than a spreadsheet that just helps them calculate all the money they're going to make literally no rules of the game. Everyone is showing up to play Monopoly and no one has instructions and everyone's just playing to win and it doesn't matter how you get there. So just wing it. Just wing it, right? And so you hire 10 people, hope they wing it. You fire eight, you keep two, you hire 10 more, you hope they wing it, hope they know what to do. And hopefully you can stay ahead of all the cancellations that happen because salespeople are selling the way they want to sell and they don't really care. First thing to do is build processes. Again, systems process is not what salespeople like to hear. Salespeople who get promoted into leadership roles, like they don't want to institute scripts and comp plans and accountability and performance improvement plans because they think you should just wing it. But that's the difference. If you want to turn it into a professional organization that can scale where you're not pouring in as much water as you're losing out of the bucket all the time, you got to have some structure in place. So the process doesn't necessarily affect the personality because if somebody is a in your face, fast talker, the process is still going to work from somebody who is maybe not as much of a fast talker. They're more, they think before they talk and they're, they're maybe a little bit slower and they ask 
questions and they sit on the call for a little bit longer, but the process is still going to work. It's not necessarily you need to make a thousand calls today to hit quota. It's developing that standard operating procedure or that process to create that experience to, to drive the result. Right. And, and outlining what that process looks like. If it's in that phone call, what are the main things that need to be covered? Um, obviously for brand new people, you want to have it highly scripted because you want to give them that roadmap and then you can transition to less scripting and more outlines and bullets, but you have to give everyone a framework and not just assume that everyone you hire will know how to move someone out of their comfort zone and buy something that represents the scariest thing they could ever imagine in their life, which is change, right? That's what you're up against. And so you've got to build that process and you've got to hand people that. And then have ways to hold them accountable with the metrics, numbers. There's so much technology out there. There's no reason not to be tracking things and then understand. And again, it's not about call volume. It's not about call time. It's about results. And it's like, all right, how do you get there? And then building it around the kind of people you want to hire. If you are building a process that's only for the fast talkers who are going to do a thousand dollars a day, you need to find a good source of hiring those people, but build the process for them. If you have to scale through hiring B and C players and moving them up, hopefully, then build your process around them instead of relying on rock stars. You don't necessarily need all A players to drive the outcome that you're trying to achieve. Nope. An NBA team, if I think of the Lakers right now, they have a bunch of quote unquote rock stars that don't know how to play together. And so how do you create the B and C players, maybe a couple A's to, de to develop that right procedure so you're not having a bunch of A players that are not willing to play nice to each other or communicate or collaborate or provide lessons learned to drive that experience. And if you look at, let's say, basketball, if the audience is uh, familiar with basketball and we look at the Lakers, one of the challenges with someone like LeBron is he's got so much power and he's so amazing, but also feels he's amazing where he calls the shots, fire this coach, move me to this team, get rid of these people, hire these people. That happens in sales organizations too, where somebody has the power, they're hitting the number, they're crushing it, and they're basically running the show and usually toxic and not good for the group. So there's a wake of destruction behind them. And if we look at teams in the past, most teams are successful with one or two superstars and the rest of them are support players who are all doing a good job and know how to flow as a team. Doesn't work when you have too many superstars because it will implode. Um, and you can, there's also teams that don't have any superstars that are known to anybody and they do well because again, it's a structure, it's a teamwork, there's a system in place. So the world right now, is trending towards customer experience. They're trending towards employee experience. They're not necessarily talking about that sales experience. So if you were to talk to organizations as a whole, why should they focus and lean into that sales experience? I think the biggest difference and where this trend is, like you asked me, like what's changed or if anything has changed over uh, 20 years, that I've seen is, again, it's what the customers expect. It's what they're looking for. It's no longer about the salesperson or the company having all the power uh, with the knowledge and information. Again, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, not that long ago, really, if you wanted to buy a car, 
you waited for the 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 um the newspaper you got an auto trader magazine or you had to go to a dealership and you had to talk to and risk your livelihood with a salesperson in order to find out what you needed to know nobody does anymore if anyone walks onto a dealership lot right now without researching car prices and understanding it they deserve what's going to happen to them like that's literally about it but nobody does that so the power has shifted to the consumer in knowledge so the consumer is looking for something different and companies again are still playing this numbers game where it's like all right if i just make enough dials and we throw enough people at it like this will work but consumers are not tolerant of that like I don't know of too many companies out there other than Apple where they literally have all the market share and they can treat their customers like crap in the sales process because people don't have a choice, right? That's about the only one I can think of. Otherwise, there, no company's unique. And so if your customer doesn't like the experience with your salespeople because you threw them on the phone after some terrible training and then they have one shot. That person's just going to fill out another form or go to another company and buy from them instead. Like they don't need to tolerate your bad service and your bad sales process. And so it's not even about like, it's something I want to do and this would be nice to do and this would help our KPIs. Like this is a matter of survival and success moving forward where you're either going to have an amazing world-class sales experience or you're going to be struggling with making sales moving forward in anything that's a considered purchase, in anything that requires salespeople, phone calls, conversations, like one messy human helping another messy human make the right decision. So let's take an industry, since you mentioned mortgage at the very beginning, and, and that's not, you were a loan originator, your loan, what was that? What was loan it? Officer. Yeah. Loan officer. Sorry, that yeah. originator sure. is, is so much yeah, degrading than, a, than an officer. Yeah. I'll take uh, it. But let's say that somebody fills out a form online and it's a, a form that is not a specific company. And what typically happens, they fill out a form, you put your name and your email address and phone number within about a half a second, you're getting six phone calls, three emails and four texts, all saying how awesome they are, how worse the competition is and how they should do business with them. It's the whole black jacket you should do business with me. What product or service do you want? Yeah. And if you could flip that on its head and, and be different in the marketplace, what would you tell that company, that, that one mortgage company that's saying, I just want to be different. I want to find a way to reach out to them and say, I'm here for you. What is that? I have a couple ideas, but I want to get your perspective on that. You're basically making me share all my secrets that companies stand for <laughs> in helping them. But this I'm is do the, it anyway. I, I'm podcasting with authentic persuasion. You're you're doing a great job. You're pulling me this, pulling the good stuff out of me. Uh, but uh, seriously, I think here's the classic sales mode, right? And the sales model, and then I'll lead into the answer to what you're asking for what sh they could do or should do. The classic mode is, here's me, I'm amazing, I'm the hero, I'm going to save your day, I have something better than everyone else, me, 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 right? Like when, if you've ever been to a trade show or a conference, you walk up to a booth and all they do is start talking about themselves, three minutes later, you're like, wait a second, I don't qualify, I don't want this, this sucked, you just wasted my time, like this is not a good fit, you're selling. And now I have a squishy know, toy in my hand that has your logo and, on it. 
and and I don't even want that. And I want to scratch your logo off so that it's not branded because I truly don't care about your company. And I'll take some pens, thank you, and some mints. Um, right. But like, so that's the classic mode, right? And back in the in the day when there wasn't information online like there is now, salespeople had all the power and the information so they could run the show, and that was the model of sales where the company and the sales individual is the hero. They're there to save the day, especially in if you're some, in something where it's purely a commodity, a mortgage, a loan, it's a commodity. You can get it here and get it there. A loan is a loan is a loan, right? There's very few differences in actual loans that you, you can't get uh, somewhere else. The difference is right now, especially with what consumers are looking for and what they have access to within arm's reach 24 hours a day, even while sleeping, we all know we shouldn't have our phone next to us while we're sleeping, but we do. Like we have all the world's information. So what consumers are looking for is a guide, not a hero. The problem is so many people in sales, so many businesses, their marketing, their, their, their brochures, their websites, all about them being the hero. The problem is in the story that the consumer has in their head, the consumer thinks they're the hero. And the problem is there can only be one hero in the story. There's the hero or there's the sidekick or there's the, the bad guy, right? There's Darth Vader, there's Han Solo, customer thinks they're Luke. They always think they're, we all think we're the hero. I, whenever I drive down the freeway, I think everything's about me. I don't understand why people don't get that and why they don't get out of my way. Like Get out of my human. way. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, we go to the store and it's like, of course, it's all about us, right? Like everything, and we're human. It's part of the human condition and element. Mm -hmm. So companies will win and be way more successful on the front end and then also in the conversations when they shift to realizing their job is to be the guide, which is you're here, you want to be here, which is up the mountain successfully. I've helped other people do it. I will help you come with me and let's go. And it's pulling instead of pushing, right? It's leadership that you would do as a leader in a company, but you're leading that prospect across the finish line instead of pushing them and tricking them and manipulating them and saying, hey, if you buy by the end of the quarter, I'm going to give you 10% off. Like that's all manipulation and bribery. Instead, it's about pulling them, right? And of course, if you're up against six other text campaigns within, you know, five seconds of them filling out a form, it's all, you got to make it about them. They only care about themselves at first, and then they kind of care about you. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. I love it. I, I don't have anything to add because it was all about the guide and the hero. So uh, well done. Uh, and I appreciate you sharing the secret sauce on that. The one question I do have, though, is from a consumer's perspective, well, even from the sales side, how, what's the best way or, or how important, I'll rephrase it, how important is, the, is getting and gaining trust 
as quick as possible from that consumer that you're trying to sell? Uh, it's important. The key is doing it the right way. So what I wrote about in my first book that came out, Selling with Authentic Persuasion, was uh, trust is important, but trust is the result of a rapport, amount of rapport in the beginning, and then also empathy. So the challenge is most salespeople in the beginning, they want to go straight for trust. Like me, I'm amazing. Here's our brands. Here's our logos. Again, the consumer the person at the company you're trying to sell, they don't care about all that at first. They want to know a little bit like, all right, are you, you trustworthy enough that I should keep talking to you? But they want to know that you care about them. People will do business with people they know, like, and trust. They have to know you. They have to like you. And they have to know that you care about them. And it's interesting, but when you build some rapport and then you ask questions and you do your discovery that you would do as a salesperson and you actually listen and you make it about them and you dig deep, that actually in itself will build trust. Then it's about credibility and just confirming that you're, you're a, a good company and you do actually help people. But if you just do rapport and then I call it empathy, which is discovery questions with actually caring about people, you will build trust and people will say, wow, I really trust you. This is great. And you've literally maybe said nothing. I mean, I've had phone calls back when I was you know, dealing with consumers and then also training other people. 30 minutes into a phone call, somebody's about to give me their banking information to set up payment. And I'm like, by the way, I never told you what we do and who we are. And they're like, oh yeah. I was like, because I built the trust through just the process of wanting to help them, who I was and what we did, you know, our company, that wasn't as important as them realizing, wait, this person cares and they really want to help me. It's interesting because you said a few things about caring, asking thoughtful questions, paying attention and shutting up and listening. Weird. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's, uh, it's, it's such a com complex, it, well, it's such an easy way, but it's not simple for some people. There's one of the guys I interviewed, uh, Julian Treasure. He was a top 10 TEDx speaker. And, uh, and he was speaking, it was about speaking and listening. And he's like, you always speak into a listening. And I was like, oh, that's, that's deep right there. Like, I, I didn't really think about that. But he's like, it's so important to pay attention to what that other person is saying instead of just trying to regurgitate what you plan to say next. Because then you actually think about what they're saying and you have better questions to ask. The better questions that you're going to ask and the, the further you can peel back that onion on their specific needs or their current pain points, the more you're going to be able to solve their problems and then probably more you're actually going to make. Yeah, and that's why like I have um, this debate I have all the time and I wrote about it in the book about five success traits. Being a guy with marine biology degree who grew up sh a shy, awkward, bullied, late blooming, only child that didn't fit into two analytical parents that hated salespeople uh, meant I literally chose sharks instead of people as a career choice because I thought that was safer, right? And so, and then I've made myself into somebody who could do shows like this and sell and persuade and, and do everything. Most people don't, wouldn't believe, you know, me as a child versus me now. 
Um, but in those success traits, I, the two top two that I have are openness and curiosity ahead of persistent. Persistence is actually number four on my list because a lot of times people in sales think, oh, I'm just persistent. That's good. But then you're a persistent jerk who's self-centered and just wants what you want. You're just going to steamroll everybody. But if you're open, like to feedback and new ideas and scripts and processes, and then you're curious, like when you actually have a conversation with somebody and that's your driving factor, like you said, the curiosity will lead to the questions, which will lead to the information that then you can find what you can solve. And then the rest of it's just admin. Like I truly think the rest of it's just paperwork at that point. So curiosity doesn't kill the cat. It makes the sale. It can. Now, if you're a cat, it can cause troubles. But if you're a salesperson <laughs> and you use it for good and not evil, it's, it's, it's one of those things that's way more important than just blind persistence and grit which is what the world doesn't enjoy, enjoy about salespeople who just go in that mode. And they literally don't care about you as a person. They only care about what they're going after. So I'm, I'm pretty disappointed. I was trying to make a joke and then you added value behind my joke. I was, I was waiting for you to just You know laugh. I'm going to do that to you. You know, I, I always do that to you. You make jokes and I'm like, this is amazing. And by the way, here's this other thing. By the way, here's some value <laughs> nuggets that I'm going to throw in there. So, I, like well, to, I like to undo your jokes with some value. You know that. I love it. I love it. Keep, <laughs> keep going. You keep doing that. So tell me about this, this new book. I've, I've been told about it. It's, it's Reasons Not to Focus on the Sales Experience. What's the concept of it? And uh, I heard you co-authored it with somebody who was ridiculously good looking and smart and funny and intelligent, but uh, that could also be a fallacy. So tell me more about the book. And, and is that also as, as empty as your, as your co-author? Uh, no. Uh, so that's not a fallacy. Co-author is definitely the better looking, more polished half of the, uh, the equation. He luckily let me ride his coattails. That's why his name is first on the book and mine is second. Uh, <laughs> of course it's Mr. Press one for Nick. Um, so here's the thing, right? Going off of the concept you have from your two other books about customer experience and then also employee experience. When we talked about it, it was like reasons not to focus on the sales experience. The answer to that is obviously there are none. There's absolutely no reason not to focus on the sales experience. And after we put this together, even taking it out and sharing it with companies out there, it's become even more obvious where you either do this or else, right? At some point soon, if you're not focusing on the sales experience, as much as companies focus on the customer experience, you will be hemorrhaging a lot on the sales side and you will not win versus the other ones who do it successfully. Um, and what, what's interesting is in sales organizations, like we talked about in the beginning, so many of them just don't care about the sales experience. That doesn't matter. Just hire the right people, let them do what they do best. It's a numbers game, you know, uh, just all those modes and they don't want to put any structure to it. And they just want to keep playing sales and hoping it's going to work out. And it just doesn't. So the book is a guideline. It's a book. Obviously there's no reasons not to focus on it. So it's mostly a workbook to help companies start the conversation. It's not enough, right? There's a lot to building a world-class sales experience. That's just scalable and, and repeatable, but it's a good start to help companies with, the questions, the topics, 10 categories to at least start with, and then, you know, build that sales experience for not just the customers, but also the salespeople, because when they feel good about the sales experience they're a part of, then it all flows. And then the sales conversations are easier. Like just the, the culture, the, the, the employee experience, everything just becomes better. Well said. So the people that 
have done it the way they've always done it. Who told them that? Has it, has it came down from the person who was selling, they were chipping off and they were selling the big rock wheel. And they're like, man, I got this amazing wheel and everybody's going to buy it at, front, at first. And then they just turned into this schmoozy salesperson who don't really care about people. Is it, is it just because they've always done it that, and it's, it's never really worked, but it's, who told it's, them that? it's a couple of things. It's one, because it's the way it's always been done and they just learned it from somewhere else. It's also one of these things. And we just got dive into like personalities and uh, <clears throat> what leads people into certain careers. Historically sales has been the home of people who realized they could make a lot of money and not just a hourly compensation, but they have a nearly uncapped compensation plan. And so they're driven by results also mixed with somebody who doesn't necessarily fit in anywhere else because they don't like structure and processes mixed in with somebody who's probably the kind of person who talks themselves into or out of situations at scale from early in their life. And they realize, Hey, if I can talk myself out of this or into this, I can go to sales and make a ton of money. And they meet somebody and says, Hey, why don't you go sell this? This person made $400,000, uh, uh, nine minutes ago. Okay, cool. I'm going to go do that. And then that's what happens. And that person doesn't, it, it comes natural. So for them, they just do what they do. And then they're, it just perpetuates. So it's really takes people like, I'm not going to say just myself, but others in the industry who are like, I wasn't, that's not how I entered sales or what I did with sales. So let's build it for the masses and for other people um, versus this is the way we've always done it. So when they're halfway done with a month or a month left of the quarter or two months left of the year and people start getting desperate uh-huh. and they're like, oh, I forgot to do that process that Jason mentioned earlier in the podcast then they start getting desperate and then they start delineating or uh, not aligning with your process per se, or the process that they should do it. But what's that switch? Where's that mindset, that urgency, that the freaking out moment where they go back to way it's always been done. It's that, it's that survival part of the brain. Sometimes it's driven by the ego. It's that, hey, I got to make these numbers either to keep my job, to hit my bonus commission, to feel good about what I'm doing uh, for the competition side. Some people just wait till the fourth quarter to turn it on uh, when they're playing sports. It's so many different reasons. But what happens is it just triggers that primal side, which is not too long ago, we're out, on, out in the wild fighting for survival every day. And it's like, all right, if I don't find something to eat, our, my family's going to be upset and we might starve. So we better just get anything and try anything and then desperately hunt down something. Um, and so it's just, it triggers that. Uh, and then you get what you get. Uh, and I, I will stand by it. I've done it a couple of times where people have pulled up reports. Other times, they, I know they don't want to do it just because they don't want to actually know. But I promise that all of your late quarter, late month deals are garbage because they're manipulation. You're bribing them. You're telling them, hey, if you sign up, I'll give you this deal. Instead of you waiting for next week, do it this week. I promise that most of those don't onboard, probably don't stay live very long. They don't have a good lifetime value. If you peel those out of your pipeline and look at when they're enrolled and what urgency you pushed on them. Um, again, it just, it breaks the process and it's making it about you and not the customer. And then either the customer doesn't stay or they know they own you and they're just going to keep raking you over the coals. 
Mm. I think every single sales department should go listen to the last two and a half minutes of that conversation and just play it on repeat until they call somebody like Jason Cutter to solve their problem. Because the, uh, I think it was Albert Einstein. He says the problems that exist in the world today cannot be solved by the level of thinking that created them. And the same is true with your sales experience. The same is true with your operations and your process. So go ahead and fix that. Uh, Jason, I have two questions that I wrap up every single episode with. And the first one is, what book or person has influenced you the most in the past year? And then the second one is, if you could leave a note to every single customer service rep, and it's going to hit everybody's desk Monday at 8 a.m., what would it say? Uh, You know, it's interesting. The book that has influenced me the most uh, is on a personal development side. And it's called The Road Less Stupid. Um, And it's really, it's not about making smart choices and doing everything right. It's about making less dumb choices and making less mistakes and being intentional with thinking about stuff. Um, So Road Less Stupid is really good. I'm not a fan of titles that seem like they're edgy, but like that one is a great one, Uh, especially if you lead any organization, if you run a company. It's a fantastic book. It's really helped me make, make less bad choices. Um, and then the note I would leave for everybody on customers, for customer service on the other end um, is just to remember and focus on the fact that they are the guide and to make the customer the hero in all this, their interactions. And when you do that, everything is so much easier. Uh, And then there's probably a note I would leave for the managers of customer service to call me so we could fix the sales side because the sales side is what's causing lots of customer service problems with the expectations they're not setting. Um, So, you know, let's, let's see if we can help some of that before it even happens. So if a manager is saying, oh man, my, my process is hard as, is a hot mess. How do people get a hold of Jason Cutter? Uh, straightforward, simple Hey listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? Um, if so, please consider sharing this episode with them. Uh, and last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to press1fornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources. And exceeding and accelerating and guiding that customer to their specific needs. Cool. Thanks for having me.